0: Join Dr. Brown as he continues to dig deep into the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ as he walks through the book of Galatians. This is Hearing is Believing. Why don't we have a little story time together. I'm gonna read for you a section of uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. If you don't know about Pilgrim's Progress, let me tell you a little bit about it. John Bunyan was, he was a Puritan preacher who was uh, jailed for preaching without a license. And while in prison, he wrote an allegory of the Christian life called The Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, this, this piece of literature that I have in my hand here, this is, uh, uh, it's second only to the King James Bible of the most widely published and influential piece of English literature. So he wrote this while he was in prison. And in it, there's a main character by the name of Christian who makes his way from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And so he meets certain friends along the way, friends such as evangelists, faithful, help, the shining ones, and hopeful. He also meets foes, people such as obstinate, pliable, worldly wise man, and the fierce Apollyon, just to name a few. And he goes past many obstacles such as the sloth of despond, difficult hill. heal, the Valley of Humiliation, and he even makes it through a place called Vanity Fair. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take you this morning to the most significant destination for Christian, the place where his journey begins, the cross. And I have in my hand here this uh, new version of uh, Pilgrim's Progress. It's illustrated. It has pictures in it, so my kids like it. I like it too. But uh, in this chapter 3 of this crossway edition of the Pilgrim's Progress, the title of this is A A Burden Lifted and a Journey Begun. A Burden Lifted and a Journey Begun. Here's the text. Now, I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on each side with a wall. The wall was called salvation. Salvation. Therefore, it was up this highway that Christian ran, but not without great difficulty because of the burden of the load on his back. He ran till he came to a small hill, at the top of which stood a cross and at the bottom of which was a tomb. I saw in my dream that when Christian walked up the hill to the cross, his burden came loose from his shoulders and fell off his back tumbling down the hill until it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell in to be seen no more. Then Christian was relieved and delighted and exclaimed with a joyful heart, He has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. For a while he stood still in front of the cross and looked in wonder. It was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should ease him of his burden. He continued looking at the cross until tears began streaming down his cheeks. As he stood looking and weeping, three shining ones came to him, greeted him, with peace be with you. Then the first said to him, your sins are forgiven. The second stripped him of his rags and dressed him with new clothing. The third put a mark on his forehead and gave him a scroll with a seal on it. He told Christian, to review it often and as he went on his way and at the end of his journey to turn it in at the celestial Gate. After this, they went their way. Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on his way singing this song. Thus far I did come, burdened with my sin, nor could I find relief from my grief within. Until here I came, what a place this is, here shall be the beginning of full eternal bliss. Now my burden falls from my back forever. From the cords that bound it. by grace, my grief is severed. Blessed cross, blessed tomb, rather most blessed be the man who there was put to shame. A shame he took from me. And of course, if you were in my house or one of my children, I would show you (laughs) the picture. But what I want to do today is I want to talk to you today about the place to bring your burdens. I want to talk to you about the place to lay your burdens down. And I wonder, as I'm provoking your mind to think that way, when you think of a safe place to come and lay down your burdens, do you think of the church Do you think of a place like this, in a setting like this, with the people like this, with a pastor like me? Do you think about the church as a safe place to lay down your burdens? And here's what I'm convinced of. Oftentimes, our churches have lost the significant ministry that the Lord's given us, the ministry of restoration, the ministry of reconciliation. Let me say something right away. Reconciliation is messy. Reconciliation looks at the deepest of depravity, and it says God's grace is sufficient. Reconciliation says where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Or as uh, Corey Ten Boom famously said, reconciliation says there is no pit so deep that the grace of God and the love of God are not deeper, still. And I wonder if you think about church, do you think about the church in terms of reconciliation? And I ask that for you personally when you think about the church that you're in today, First Baptist Church of Starkville, are we a church that says, we are not a hotel for saints, we're a hospital for sinners. We're a church that says we are not an institution to be maintained so much as we are a mission to be advanced. Are we a church that says that we are more flawed than we think, but we're more loved than we could ever imagine? Are we a church that invites the vilest offender who truly believes? And believe, and are we a church that says, divineless defender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives? Is that the kind of church that we are? During a time of crisis in London, uh, back in the past, the churches began to gather people to offer aid. And so you had the Baptists. They came together and they said, well, all of you who are Baptists, come with me. And the Methodists said, uh, all who are Methodists, come this way. That story was repeated for the Presbyterians and for the Anglicans and for the Roman Catholics. And and finally, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he stood up and he said, all of you who belong to no one, you come with me. There is a world that desperately needs Jesus. There is a world that's filled full of individuals that need to know the Savior and the hope that we hold dear and that we remind each other every week. There is a world that needs Jesus. There is a ministry waiting for us, guaranteed by the cross of Christ, paved the way, uh, blazed the pathway by the life of Jesus himself. There is a ministry of reconciliation just available for us. All we have to do is step into it. God's building His church. The gates of hell are not going to prevail. God is asking for laborers to come. He said, there's the harvest. Here's the Spirit. All we need is someone who's going to willingly say, yeah, that's me. I want to go. Jesus has given the church. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. The church, and oftentimes in churches we have a cross affixed to our steeples, and so we have images of the cross all around us. The church is the place where the cross of Christ is proclaimed, and it's at the cross of Christ that the sinner lays their burdens down. And so take your Bible this morning, let's go to the Holy Scripture, let's go to our text the inerrant and inspired Word of God. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. And Galatians chapter 6, I want to uh, read to you just the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 6. Hear the Word of the Lord. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, Lest you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load." Let the one who has taught the word share all things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will they also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So here we come to the close of the book of Galatians. And you know what Paul's doing? As he, as he tells these Galatians and as he's telling us this morning, his desire is to demonstrate what a life of gospel expression looks like. What does it look like for you to live on this side of the cross? What does it look like if you take the confession that you hold dear, that my sins are forgiven, Jesus is alive, Jesus is coming again, Jesus died for me, He is my sole satisfaction. What does it look like to live that out? Well, we could say just expressly, look at verse 2. Here's what it looks like. It looks like bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. Now you see what Paul's done? He's talked about the law, the law, the law, the law, the law, the law. People have come and said, this is what you have to do. In order to be a believer, you have to add all of these adherents to the law to your confession. And then Paul says, no, 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 no. If you do that, you, uh, you dismiss faith. It's faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace ag- alone, for God's glory alone that saves. And that's according to the Scriptures. And so Paul says, no, it's not these things. It's Grace through faith alone. And so he takes that word law and he says, This is what we're now focused on. We're focused on the law of Christ. And this is the, uh, this is the incredible thing about Jesus. Jesus has come as our burden bearer. He has come, this is why he comes riding on a donkey uh, on the. Uh, 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 Um, what do you call that? What did he do? That's the moment of um, the triumphal entry. That's what I'm trying to think. I kept thinking transfiguration. No, he didn't ride a donkey in the transfiguration. The triumphal entry, he's riding on a beast of burden. Why is that? Because he is carrying our burdens. And now he says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And so now we have this ministry, listen, of reconciliation. We now have this ministry of restoration. We now get to live this life of gospel expressiveness where we get to look like Jesus. And guess where we look like Jesus the most? When we are, listen, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to walk through the text. I just want us to simply walk through the text and notice two overarching points because uh, realistically the, the paragraph, at least in my Bible, there's two different paragraphs that we're looking at this morning. And so there are two overarching points with some subpoints underneath, and it'll be clear on the screen for you. But I want you to first notice, write this down, the inevitability of one, of one another for Christians the inevitability of one another for Christians. And I know some of you are like, why did you have a spell, inevitability? It's hard enough to say, but I want you to notice that on purpose. We can't get away from one another. Now, we've seen traces of this one another theme beginning back in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15. By the way, did y'all hear that that rhymed? I hope you noticed that. We saw traces of this one another theme beginning back at 515. All right, anyway. All right, 515. But look at what it says If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Has anyone in the room today, and you don't necessarily have to raise your hand, has anyone ever been bit by another Christian? All right, there's a few hands going up. I figured that you'd want to say it. Yeah, I think all of us have been hurt in some capacity, in some kind of church setting. You've been bit by other Christians. It isn't that funny that Paul uses that kind of uh, language and lingo. He talks about Christians, you know. Jesus calls us sheep, and one of the things that sheep do, they stink, as well as they're stupid, as well as they bite one another. And they oftentimes, they literally bite the hand that feeds. And so Paul uses this language. He says, he says, watch out that you don't bite and devour one another. And then watch out that you're not consumed by one another. We can't get away from one another. And so oftentimes when we're in our little holy huddles, which is what this is right now, we're in a holy huddle. We're going to break in just a minute, but we're in our little holy huddles right now. And one of the things that we do, if we're not careful, we lose sight of a mission. And so we begin to bite at one another and devour one another because we got nothing better to do. And Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And then again, look at what he says in chapter 5 and verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us, there again, us also keep in step with the Spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, the point that I want you to see is these these one another's are unavoidable. And we need to just go ahead and camp out on that for just a moment. We need each other. We need to say that, that we need each other. I need you. You need me. We need one another because God created us to be in community with one another. There is no healthy form of Christian confession that is isolated and disjoined from life with one another. And we've learned that during the pandemic period. If there's anything that we've learned better than any other time, perhaps it's this, that we can't do church without one another. And it's my prayer that this time where we've been sort of scattered and wondering if we're going to come back and this variant comes and all these kind of things, it's my prayer that God has taken us and brought us an awareness of just how much we need the one another's in our lives. Let's go through the text and let me point out the details of what our life with one another looks like. First, we have to look out for one another. Notice what the Bible says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, do you see that? If anyone is caught in any transgression. So that tells us a couple of things. First it tells us that uh, we're going to struggle. Now don't too quickly go past that. I want to just say that again. It lets us know that the Christian life is a life filled with struggle. You now, because of what we learned in Galatians chapter 5 beginning at verse 16, you now have the Spirit of God who creates this friction. You are right now, if you're saved, you are between two worlds. You are between a world that's uh, here and a world that's coming. You're between a, 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 a resurrected Christ and a Christ who's coming again. And he's sealed you with that spirit. And so now you are in the world, but you're not of the world. And so you have this friction. And part of that friction is just part and parcel of what it means for you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You're going to struggle. Second, it, it points to the responsibility that we have to our brother and sister when they do fall into transgression. And I want you to hone in on that word for just a minute because there's nothing that indicates what type of transgression. It doesn't give us a level of degree. It just simply gives a blanket statement. And what type of transgression or the the degree of transgression, it really doesn't matter because because Paul is talking about an attitude, an attitude that looks out for one another regardless of how bad or little it might be. But notice this too, as we look out for one another, we're not trying to trap one another. We're not biting one another, remember? We're not devouring one another. We're not trying to consume one another, or in the words of Jesus, we're not trying to see the speck in someone else's eye and forget about the own log that we have in ours. Instead, we're aware that temptations are common to our confession. And that's why we're the type of community that doesn't dismiss our struggles or doesn't just simply want to put on a nice coat and think, oh yes, everything's perfect with me and I'm doing everything's fine in my life. Here's the filtered version of who I am. No, no, no. We're we're not trying to dismiss our struggle, but we're fighting together. Listen, instead of biting and devouring one another, we're fighting together the battle of sin and holding one another accountable. Let me just ask you this type of question. Do you have, do you have an accountability partner? Do you have someone that you can share your struggles with? I have a really good accountability partner. She was sitting in the first service this morning right there. It was my beautiful wife. You know why she's my accountability partner? Because she knows me better than anybody on this earth. We've been married long enough now that I can say she knows me better than my mama. It's true, she does. And sometimes she can just look at me and men, perhaps you know, you don't have to look at me right now if it's dangerous, I understand, you don't have to agree with this, but my wife can just look at me and when she just looks at me, I know I need to just go ahead and take a step back and say, I'm sorry, and then I need to follow that with you were right, right? Uh, I know these things. My wife is my best accountability partner because her and I are pursuing something together. I want to be an excellent husband to her. She wants to be an excellent wife to me. I want to be a good pastor. She wants to be a good pastor's wife. I want to be wonderful parents. We want to end our days with Jesus looking at us as a model of what it means to love and serve Jesus. And we're both in that together. And we live together. She's my best accountability partner. But do you have someone like that? Do you have someone who's going to hold you accountable, who's going to come and knock the dust off of your confession, and then seek to restore you? Restore you. Now, that's key. Isn't that what the text says? Look at the Bible. It says, seek to restore him, how? In a spirit of gentleness. And so, in other words, you are to desire to be spiritual. Notice what what happens in the text. Restoration comes from the spiritual. It comes from those who are spiritual. You say, what does it mean to be spiritual? Are you ready? It means to be led by the Spirit. That's what it means. What's a spiritual person? It's not someone who uh, can sing well or this kind of thing. It's someone who is simply led by the Spirit of God. You say, well, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Well, look at the Bible. Look at chapter 5, and look at verse 22, where we see the fruits of the Spirit mentioned. But then notice what comes in 523. Notice what comes at 523. One of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. And that's the same word that's repeated in our text, restore him with a spirit of Gentleness. Now, there's something to be said about someone who seeks to confront transgression with gentleness. One who confronts the sin in the life of others with gentleness is seeking the good of the other person. And not so much standing above them as a moral superior, so much as standing alongside them. And the reason for our standing alongside, the reason for a spirit of gentleness is because of Paul's warning in what comes next. Look at what comes next. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. In other words, there's a call for us to remember our own progress, to remember the fact that you are on your own journey. We're all pilgrims on the way. We're on our own journey in sanctification, holiness. We're all looking like Jesus. And remember this I don't know how far down the road of sanctification you are, but you had this first initial starting place, the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where we all started. That's where we all began the journey. We laid the burdens down. And here's what we have to keep in mind we are not the standard of moral perfection. Your life, as much as it might be a model, there's always room for improvement. We are not the standard of moral perfection. You know who is the standard of moral perfection? It's Jesus. And so we remember our own progress. And you are as far as you are with walking with the Lord, or keeping in step with the Spirit, only by the grace of God. You see, this is the reason we do what comes next with one another. We, we bear one another's burdens. We are together with one another. We are like Christian on our way to the celestial city. And our journey, just as Christian, it began at the cross. And it's at the cross, at the cross, where we first saw the light. And it's at the cross where we laid our burdens down. And then you know what we do? We're on the road, and we walk along the road, and we face fellow pilgrims on the way. And they face trials and temptations, and we see where they are. And so we holler, hey, let me help you, pull you up. And then they do the same for us, those who are further along, those who are coming up beside us, those who have an advantage to see. You're fixing to get off in the ditch. You're fixing to get off on the way. We're on our way to the celestial city, and so we encounter those pilgrims on the way. And you know a place where we encounter those pilgrims on the way, a a waypoint where we encounter pilgrims? I'm looking at a bunch of them right here. You've decided at this moment to come in a place like this on your week on the way to the celestial city in a place called church to be energized, where somebody like me says, keep going. Where I turn your attention to the, the, the signposts and the markers, and I say, this is the way. And the Spirit of God comes and provokes you and says, you know what? There's something in your life that's hindering your progress. Or you have that wonderful accountability partner, or in your small group where you get to share with one another burdens and cares and concerns, and you get to you get to come into a moment like this. You get to be refueled. You get to hear the news of God's salvation, and then you get to go out and live for God wherever you are. But you're a pilgrim on the way. And this is just, as my dad used to say, this is just your fire support base. You get to come in from the battlefield and you get to come in here and be refreshed and hear the word of the Lord, be fed from the holy book, be, fred, be fed the bread of uh, Fred, be fed the bread of heaven so that you can then be energized and go out and live your life for Jesus. Notice the next transition of the text, the next paragraph break, where we learn the second point. Our responsibility as Spirit-led believers. And what is our responsibility as Spirit-led believers? Well, we encourage the ministry of the Word. We focus first on the place where the Word is taught. And let me just ask again, where is the place that the Word is taught? As long as I'm the pastor... This is all that First Baptist Starkville will do, is we will teach the Word. We will know God and make Him known. And we'll do that from the singing, to the small groups, to the pulpit. It all centers around one dynamic, teaching the Word. Let me just say this. I'm so thankful that that you give money. I'm thankful that you give your time, your talents, your treasures. I'm grateful that you fulfill, verse 6, that you, you give money so that you share good things with the one who teaches. You do that. And there's a shared burden that all of us have together as a staff. Clifton shares it, Tom shares it, Neil shares it, Nathan shares it, Charity shares it, Blair shares it, our new youth minister, whoever he is, even our new creative learning center director, Robin, and so many more that we employ. They all pivot around one reality, and you know what that one reality is? Take the Word to the world. Teach the Word. We have all kinds of different degrees of responsibility, but all of it centers around one reality, pivots towards one reality. Teach the Word. We do it in different ways, but it's all a ministry of teaching. And let me just say again, thank you for sharing with us from your income so that we can share the good news with our community and with the world. So let's go ahead, after we encounter this, talking about bearing one another's burdens, let's ensure that we are encouraging, that we're a church that encourages the ministry of the Word. So when we set budget, listen, let's budget not towards maintenance, but towards missions. Let's advance the ministry of the word what's our responsibility as spirit led believers look at this next one sow righteousness and here we have in our text the principle of reaping and sowing and here we have the truth about reaping and sowing and here's the truth you reap what you sow more than you sow later than you sow you reap what you sow more than you sow later than you sow. At First Baptist Church in Starkville, we're getting ready to launch a brand new vision. We're getting ready to launch a brand new vision. And let me just say that right now we're in a sowing season. That's what COVID, I believe, providentially was all about. The pandemic period that we faced and whatever the uncertainty is with all of that stuff, we are right now in a sowing season. And what is sown is going to come up later. What is sown is going to come up later. But right now we're sowing. The ministry of the word is having its work on my heart as I learn afresh the gospel, on your heart as you learn afresh the gospel. And let me just say that there are going to be moments. Just be prepared. There's going to be moments where we have to pull up weeds. There's going to be moments where we have to tear things down. But right now is a sowing season. And parents, you're sowing in the life of your children. Grandparents, you're doing the same thing. Leaders, professors, business owners and teachers, husbands and wives, children, pastor, we're all sowing. And what we sow, we're going to reap. And the challenge is to, we forget that because we get so caught up in the mundane and the routine where we can't see the vine producing any fruit or we don't see anything growing where we just scattered seed, but just give it a little time. And you'll see. Don't grow weary. Instead, the Bible encourages this morning to cultivate faithfulness. The Bible encourages this morning to not grow weary in doing good, to keep going. Some of you this morning, I'm speaking to you, you're so overwhelmed. Your walk with the Lord, you're not as far as you thought that you'd be because somewhere along the way, someone taught you that when you come to Jesus, whatever habit you have, you're going to be able to kick it, just like that. Some of you still have that habit that you just can't kick. kick. And I wanna tell you, keep going. Keep uprooting. Keep trusting. Keep seeking. You're a pilgrim on the way. And I wanna share this with you, and I hope that this doesn't offend you, but if it does, oh well. You haven't arrived yet. Some of you are saying, you need to tell somebody I know that. You haven't arrived yet. And that's okay. You might have taken two steps forward and and one step back. But listen, you're still on the way. Don't give up. Oh, I want you to leave here today. I want you to leave here today seeing the opportunity that you have before you. It's an opportunity that the cross of Christ has given you the opportunity to do good. Go back to William Booth. Go back to the founder of the Salvation Army. Do you know what their slogan is? Their slogan is doing the most good. That ought to be true of, of my life because I'm a follower of Jesus. That ought to be true of your life. That ought to be true of First Baptist Church in Startville. That we're doing the most good because we believe that Jesus is King and Lord over all. We're doing the most good. We believe that Mississippi State can't live without First Baptist Church in Starkville. We believe that Starkville can't live without First Baptist Church in Starkville. We have an opportunity because the cross is set before us to do the most good. For Starkville, for the state of Mississippi for Mississippi State, for the Southeast, for the United States, for the whole world, church. Do good to everyone. You know, there's a whole world out there that needs to join with us in the songs that we sing. Wouldn't wouldn't it be great if the whole community, if the preacher stood up and said, take your Bibles, and the whole community was ready to hear a word from God? Nathan and I were just having a conversation with Jason Stoker the other day where we were just reminded to the fact that we have over, or close to 90 countries represented at the university next door, over 900 international students. They need to know the story of the cross. They need to know the story of Jesus saves. You have a neighbor that needs to know there's somebody in heaven who knows their name and that loves them. We have an opportunity. And I love the way that Paul said it. He said, do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Do good to everyone. And you know, we oftentimes just glance over that and say, well, especially to the household of faith. Of course, do good to everyone. Even if they spit in your face, even if they slam the door, even if they tell you to go take a hike. Do good to everyone. Because we bear one another's burdens. And we remind the world of one who came to bear our burdens to take our sorrows and make them his very own. Where he bore the burden to Calvary and he suffered and he died alone so that he could come to you and me and say, bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. Father in heaven, help us to be this kind of church that is a place where the community can come to Jesus and lay their burdens down. Father, for someone today who has been shackled by a heavy burden, may they today Believe that there is life and receive that life in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to follow Hearing is Believing on Facebook and rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us at hearingisbelieving.org.